0: Welcome mummers, welcome back to another episode of the Working Mama podcast. I have to say from the outset, I do want to give a warning for this episode as it may trigger emotions and if you do, you may need to speak to someone um, such as Bears of Hope um, and you can contact them on 1300 111 HOPE or support at bearsofhope.org.au or highly recommend also speaking with Cope. Or beyond blue. This is a very personal episode for me as I experienced pregnancy loss in February this year when my husband and I were told that our child had a one in 32,000 medical abnormality. We had previously had genetic testing and it was not genetics related but I also highly recommend do genetic testing. It was a freak thing to happen at the four to six week mark just as we were discovering that we were expecting our second child. We didn't find out about this abnormality until a 13-week scan, and this resulted in a second scan at 15 weeks, and it was a much worse outcome than what we could have ever expected. Subsequently, this led us to make the hardest decision of our lives to terminate the pregnancy, all based around medical reasons. It was something that I had never expected that I would be confronted with in my life, And I had never met anyone else that had needed to make this decision. It was by far the hardest few weeks of both my husband and I's life. And during this experience, I was sent a bear by my mother's group from Bears of Hope. And this introduced me to the wonderful and supportive organisation and Facebook groups to support families that have experienced pregnancy and infant loss. It continues to be my safe zone with people that have been through a similar experience. This has led me to today's guest, Amanda, the co-founder of Bears of Hope. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, thank you. So, Amanda, it's, I have to say, Bears of Hope has been a a lifeline, and I know that it has been for so many parents. Are you able to explain what Bears of Hope is, and what led you to found the organisation?
1: Yeah, well, I'll start with what Bears of Hope is. We are, I I try to break it down into two separate areas of what we actually do. The first is that we provide a bear of hope and other keepsakes and critical information to families who have experienced the loss of their baby. The bear is donated in honour of another baby that didn't make it home and it's donated then, gifted to the family in the tragedy in their moments to have something to hold on to as they leave the hospital, but also to enclose, to really let them know that they're not alone and let them know that there is a community of support around them and available for them. After that, we then also have what we term as beyond the bear support. And that is a whole array of various things um, from our online support groups, which are facilitated uh, through some wonderful psychologists and counsellors. We have psychologists and counsellors that um, work on the phone lines as well as through email support. And we've actually been doing online and one-on-one support for quite some time through the internet. So telehealth, that has become quite a new thing thanks to COVID, we'd actually been bridging that gap for those that couldn't make it to any of our actual face-to-face counsellors. We've been doing that for quite some time. We have support groups um, at the moment. They are online, but we do look forward to when we can have those groups and people coming together again and discussing different ways that they're different challenges that they're facing or strategies that someone else maybe has used to help them through their grief. So we have the donation of the bear and then the beyond the bear support which also has a bunch of different events, all of which have been cancelled this year thanks COVID. And, you know, they bring an opportunity for the community to come together and meet other people with shared experiences as well as really try and give some presence in the community, just how large this bereaved community is so that we can hopefully get some greater education around those on those outer circles to understand just how great the impact of losing a baby is on a family. Bears of Hope began 14 and a half years ago. My second son Jesse was born at 21 weeks and we also had that dreadful news from the doctor. Jesse had Edwards syndrome and it's something that you probably heard through your doctors was described as not compatible with life. So uh, we, we had to terminate at 21 weeks for medical reasons and, you know, there's a discussion around having to make that choice to end the pregnancy and there really is no choice involved, particularly with what Jesse had. He had absolutely no hope of existing outside my body and... Unfortunately, he was then still born at twenty one weeks. I was lucky enough to meet another lady who had actually started just donating bears to a handful of hospitals and lucky enough for me, I received one of those bears. we connected and all those all these years later we're still here running Bears of hope
0: that's amazing and so inspirational and Yeah, certainly something out of today's episode is actually about bringing awareness to your organisation and and the amazing work that you do, because I know the feeling of isolation and your world literally coming down around you is something that every parent that experienced loss feels. And we certainly learnt to grieve and manage this in different ways. And if I talk about we, I mean my husband and I. What are the different emotions that you have seen through Bears of Hope and how can people that have experienced loss work through these? As I won't say you need to, like, you can't resolve or fix it, um, as it's not an issue that you can fix. It's more about how you manage the emotions, sometimes as well.
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, there's a there's a plethora of emotions that people will experience, and grief really is unique and individual. Everyone will feel it differently. I will grieve the loss of a pet or a grandparent differently to somebody else that will experience it differently. And as humans, we are creatures that have the independence to feel our own way about anything in particular. So it can look so different for everybody. There are some obvious ones, anger, sadness, deep, deep despair. There are at times people that will feel that they've become overly sensitive and they can only see the negatives that are happening in the world, that feeling of hopelessness. There are some that over time can find hope. They can find some stillness to be able to sit with their grief and sit with the emotions. Oftentimes people think that, you know, if you're angry, then you can't be anything else, but it's actually something that our bodies are capable of doing is that emotions can sit together, even when they're contradictory, you can be angry and someone can still make you laugh at the same time. So, you know, they can, they can all sit within us. It just depends on which one is really uh, bubbling out over the top at the time. And a lot of times people will really regress in them into themselves because they feel so very much alone and isolated Um, And a lot of times that can be based on their own personal thoughts about where they should be or how they should feel. And oftentimes it can also come from their external support system that the people around them may also offer some really non-helpful advice about how they should feel and how they should be coping by now. And there's
0: really no right or wrong emotion, is there? Everyone's got their own way of, of managing it, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. We've no idea in any human's life what they've actually experienced previous to this particular experience in their life. To know what they've faced, what challenges they've faced or what they have been able to learn over their lifetime for expressing and feeling and processing emotions and for some that's a really developed skill that they have they know exactly what an emotion can even feel like within their own body and for some they actually really haven't had the opportunity to it may be because they haven't had too many experiences that are quite deep to cause that or they haven't also been allowed to they haven't been allowed to feel how they feel because they're constantly trying to appease people around them
0: and experiencing loss where you've got an infant that it's not something you can really ever plan for. I know that when we were going through uh, dealing with our news, people it's emotions that I would never have experienced before and never, you can't even plan for it. And people say, Oh, this is why you'd react. And you go for me, I know personally, it was a range of emotions and still to, to this day continues to be a range of emotions that I sometimes never predict and couldn't even fathom that this is where I would be. And I'm sure a lot of other people
1: also go through that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Uh, and also we, uh, and I've definitely asked my husband this a thousand times. Often, I say, "Why us and and what did I do to deserve this and sometimes people say, "Oh, if you 've dealt with your cards because that 's what you know you think you can handle, and I think that 's pretty unfair at times because I hate that statement and i do I wonder why what did we do? What was that miraculous moment that something happened to me and it is a a guilt um, as people say you shouldn 't feel guilty." about what happened in your body, but you still do. Um, I think it's also part of the mother's guilt. Is this kind of normal as well?
1: Absolutely, all extremely normal. One of the things that Bears of Hope does through a lot of its support groups and the different information that we'll send out through the social medias and different campaigns or work that I do within the hospitals to educate some of the staff around how to offer different things to families while they're in their care is we talk about normalizing things. So when I'm in the hospitals that would be talking to the midwives or the social workers about some of the things that they struggle to possibly offer families to do in that creating memories phase. So for a family that has birthed their baby and has the opportunity to create some memories and i talked to them about normalizing the process because we go into that space ready to deliver a baby far too early with an outcome that we know is 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 not what we wanted but there's it's very difficult to remove any previous thoughts around what we should do once this has actually happened so normalizing the opportunities will help people make decisions. So some of the things that I'll recommend is, you know, saying something along the lines of other families that have experienced this have really appreciated the opportunity to dress and bath their baby. If that's something you'd like to do, then I can help arrange that for you. So that it can help break down the initial thoughts if you if you went up to a stranger in the street and said, Hey, if you un- had the unfortunate occurrence of having to deliver a baby who had passed away during the delivery or shortly thereafter. Would you bath the baby? And oftentimes you probably get people quite feeling quite confronted by that thought. And so normalizing the grief process is just as important. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be in despair because the depths of that grief really is just a match for the depth of the love and the hopes and the dreams that we each held for that baby. And I think a lot of the times we put these shoulds on ourselves, these expectations, because we've heard previously that oh, I have a friend who had a miscarriage. She was fine. I had a friend that happened too. And, you know, she really just got over it really quickly. It was fine. I've heard that that happens. It's pretty common. So I guess it just, you know, wasn't meant to be. And we put those expectations on ourselves because we live in a society that does use those terms quite a lot. And by doing that, we're not really doing any giving our grief any service and it needs that. It needs our attention and that's why the emotions are so deep because our body is trying to, our brain is trying to make sense of everything we're feeling and everything we're going through. So it's very normal. It's just really important to try and find some light at some point through each day. Having
0: that, yeah, those little glimmers of hope. And I know that for us personally, uh, we've got a two-year-old son uh, and he really kept us going. He kept us getting us out of bed every day and actually as a, a purpose to still parent. Um, and he would make us laugh in the midst of our grief and still give us the hugs and, and he was there for us. So for me, that that glimmer of hope each day and really for me that purpose of living Um, And even in my down moments, that purpose of living is still him. Um, And I would hate to have thought, oh, what it would have been like without him. It's, um, yeah, he's only two, but it's amazing how much a little man can actually bring so much uh, ray of light um, into what's sometimes been um, a dark period. Now, Amanda, we call subsequent pregnancies after the loss of a child rainbow pregnancies. And I know for myself in planning another pregnancy, you can't necessarily feel the same level of happiness of being pregnant as what I have in the past and looking forward to it. For me personally, it's going to be waiting for that miraculous 13-week scan and getting past that hurdle of last time. Is this natural and normal uh, with rainbow pregnancies not to have the same level of happiness and increased anxiety to worry about with subsequent pregnancies and the feeling of anxiety as you approach each hurdle or milestone in the pregnancy?
1: Yeah, look, it's really normal. Unfortunately, we aren't very good at removing the emotion of one into the next, so we sort of focus on all the things that we could have and should have done differently or how can I make sure that there's a different result this time around? And oftentimes it's really got nothing to do with anything that you are doing and it really is just an unfortunate uh, set of circumstances that caused the, the first pregnancy. And there are families that sadly do experience multiple pregnancy loss at various points and it's devastating. So I can imagine for them that that anxiety must build every time. Uh, I think that it would be very rare to come across somebody that didn't feel any anxiety through a rainbow pregnancy or through a subsequent pregnancy. I think the level of how deep that might be would be quite independent to each person and perhaps where they're at in their processing of their grief around their initial loss. And however much they can put some work into, I don't know anybody that's perfected it, but I do know a lot of people that have worked really hard on reminding themselves daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes even more frequently than that, this is a different pregnancy to the last one. This is a different baby. It's a different set of chromosomes from each parent. Everything is different about this pregnancy and so the outcome will be the outcome for this pregnancy. It doesn't need to reflect the last one. It's all well and good to say that, to focus on it but that this is a different pregnancy but it doesn't change our wild brains and imaginations that run off and go straight back into that darkness and that despair that we feel through the loss. So it is something that you've sort of, I think if people can really connect to understanding what they're feeling and try and stop that negative thought running through their mind, distraction, or replacing it with the other conversation that, and this is a different pregnancy.
0: Definitely a good way of thinking about it also to provide that that separation and also that reminding it's a different pregnancy. You can, all right, we're on almost a clean slate. Let's see what we can do again. So um, good way of thinking about it. People also, like I said, easier said than done. Easier said than done, definitely. (laughs) Um, And people may think that because you haven't physically met your child, that you don't necessarily have the same connection as if the child was a couple of years old, for example. But when we were speaking prior to this podcast, you had a good analogy for this um, that you use with medical professions.
1: Yeah. So, look we've come a long way i must say in the 14 and a half years that we've been running bears of hope and talking with gps obstetricians social workers midwives and i but i still do come across it now and then and one of the core values at bears of hope is equal acceptance and acknowledgement of every loss and the idea behind that value is it's not up to me or you or anybody else to decide whether or not you're entitled to grieve the loss of your baby or how deep you're entitled to feel that grief. That's got nothing to do with anybody but the person that it's impacting. And we don't, we don't get to make that choice around, well, I was this many weeks so I should be that much sadder than you. It doesn't work like that, just as love doesn't work like that either. And one of the things that I use uh, in my slideshow for exactly that is I, I ask a couple of questions and, you know, does anybody think that perhaps a baby should have taken a couple of breaths and then that would really mean that that family would be deeply grieving or would it be have to be classed as a stillborn, so past 20 weeks in the clinical space to be considered... That that family really got ripped off and they're entitled to grieve. What about an earlier term loss? Early in the pregnancy, had it maybe even only just found out that they'd lost, that they'd fallen pregnant, sorry. And then not long after found out that they'd lost that baby, would they be entitled to grieve in the same level? And it's funny because I get varied opinions. And a lot of times people think that, yes, well, of course, a baby that spent some time in the NICU or that was a little bit older or that took some breaths. Absolutely, that, that's devastating and they, they would certainly grieve. And same for stillbirth. And then the room seems to shift a little bit as I get further down in how far along can a family, until a family isn't entitled the opportunity to grieve the loss of their baby. And then I show them a photo. Of my living children. And it's a gorgeous picture that was taken uh, after we were on a cruise somewhere in the South Pacific. And at this particular time, I, my eldest was 12, my youngest was six. And then we have another little boy in there as well. But I put that picture up and I say to them In this picture, my eldest son is twice the age of my youngest. Would you think it reasonable if I said I loved him more? And that if he was to die, I would grieve that much heavier than if that was to occur with my daughter? And people are horrified, mortified by the thought, how could you possibly say that you love him more? And I say to them, well, he's been here longer. And based on what we were talking about earlier, where six weeks, 12 weeks, 20 weeks, that there would be a difference in how someone is entitled to feel and grieve, then why wouldn't it work the same way that with these living children? I should certainly love my living, my eldest child more because he's been here twice as long. It usually shifts a few perspectives.
0: I love the analogy, and I think that's so useful to really bring people into the frame of mind and the frame of reference uh, about pregnancy and infant loss, that no matter how far along you are, you will still grieve. And because you never know people's circumstances on how long they've been trying for that baby as well. They may be doing IVF, say for 10 years, you don't know people's circumstances and how much of a miracle child that may be and I know that it's it's certainly different from everyone and also managing grief is different for everyone and I believe also for partners people will often I even know in my own experience people will look at me and not always as well uh, consider my husband but he grieved as much as what I did we felt very similar emotions uh, he took just as much time off work as what I did because we were going through it together what are some tips and advice that you have for for people both the you know both partners that are trying to navigate
1: this grief? That's a really a loaded question and be very difficult to answer. Sorry. There- that's the thing is that grief is just so different and I think it's beautiful that your husband had the same amount of time off work as you did as you explored this grief together and navigated how you would work through it unfortunately not everybody either has the opportunity for perhaps the partner to also take some time off or even for the the woman themselves experiencing the pregnancy loss, they may not have the opportunity to take much time off either. So it's such a tricky space because we are so independent in our own feelings and our own thoughts and our own way to process all of those thoughts and emotions. That means that our most reliable loved one, that we may place expectations on how they might might grieve and they might do the same to us. And that can provide a really challenging situation for both partners because just because they don't show it in the same way as one another doesn't mean they're not feeling it as deeply but we do process things differently, we feel things differently and to expect each other to grieve in the same way is really unfair. I think the best thing that you can do is be kind to yourself, be kind to your partner, be patient with yourself and be patient with your partner and communicate as much as you possibly can. And in that communication space, just be really mindful that you're sharing how you feel and the other person isn't required to feel the same way. But as your chosen life partner, probably is required to be really empathetic and hold space for where you are and for where your emotions are at, not to be dismissive, not to be invalidating but just to hold space listen and accept that that's where your partner is feeling right now that's really something that probably we could all do as a community as a society anyway is to stop putting expectations on how someone should or shouldn't feel about anything to be honest Right now, everybody's feeling so many varied things through COVID, nothing to do with pregnancy loss. And there's some real struggles that people are having with their own mental health and the restrictions that are placed on them. And we don't all feel the same way about it. Some people are absolutely relishing this time where the expectation to be somewhere and do something has been removed and they're finally living their best life. So that's proof right there of just how different huge things can impact different people and how they will feel about it. So I think as a firstly for yourself, be kind, don't rush it. Sit with your emotions. They are emotions and they can be really strong and they can be really ugly and scary. But if you can sit with them and feel them and let them pass through you, hopefully at the other side of that, there can be some stillness and some peace, and perhaps a little light and hope that will be able to. You've made room to be able to sneak in.
0: No, that's good. that's definitely great advice, and uh, I can certainly be one to attest about how COVID um, certainly can heighten, definitely emotions. A friend of mine actually messaged me last night and said. Is everything all right? And I then said to her, look, I hadn't actually told you, but this has also been my year. And she's like, okay, right. Now there's been a lot going on. Now I understand a little bit more and, and things because I actually um, hadn't mentioned it to her before. But it's one of those things that, yeah, you've you've got your trigger points and COVID, I know for some people with anxiety, and I'm not one that suffered anxiety prior to COVID, but because of so much of my year has been out of my control, it's definitely been elements of triggers and, and that. And and on that, I have to say that I did see um, a psychologist a couple of months ago after our loss, again, because of that should, of how the perception I thought I should be coping and, and managing and, and everything like that. And I guess there was a There is mental stigmas is what you were saying as well, Amanda. And I have to say, seeing a psychologist, uh, thanks also to my sister encouraging me to speak to someone, has probably been one of the best coping mechanisms, I have to say, that has actually helped me in, I would say, managing my grief and my loss. My husband came along, mostly as moral support. Um, he can be quite an introverted person, and he didn't need to say much. That was just his way of dealing with it, because he knew that he wanted to be there for for my support. I think also just to hear what I had to say, but he was managing it in his way, and that that was fine. Um, it was a really good session where I actually received validation for the way that I was feeling, and certainly as what you said just before, Amanda, about leaning into my emotions and trying not to compartmentalise them as much as I had been doing. And I left the session with, I have to say, the biggest weight off my shoulders. And subsequently, I've been a lot better mentally since because I'm like, if I'm having an average day, just lean into the emotions. And it has helped me do that as what you were just saying. I know that I'll never get over what happened to us, but instead I'm learning to live with the events and it's definitely shaped who I am today. How important and useful do you believe it is to speak to someone? And it can either be a professional, someone from Bears of Hope, and even just a life partner to help you manage your emotions?
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that Bears of Hope did quite early in our days was having a psychologist come to our peer support groups. And there were sort of two reasons for that. I really believe that a lot of healing can come from as you mentioned, that validation and just being around people that get it. So that peer support is really, really helpful and healing. But at the same time, I felt that there was almost a fear around seeing a psychologist Remembering this is sort of 14 years ago, we didn't have Facebook as a prevalent thing in our daily lives. In fact, it was it barely existed at that point in time. And the ability to connect with someone else with a shared experience was a lot more limiting back then. So the support groups were, at that point, really an important part of getting that connection to somebody else that had experienced it. But we introduced having the psychologist there for two reasons. One, to break down the fear factor associated with seeing someone. Oftentimes when I would talk to families and mention that maybe they could see a psychologist or a counsellor, there was a lot of fear wrapped up in what they thought that might look like and that they would have to just relive their story all over again. And having the psychologist at the support group just meant that people could ask questions about what might happen in a session and what would it look like, what are some of the things that I could expect from it. And also it meant for us coordinating the groups that there was a clinical expert there that knows the differences between grief and depression because the symptoms are actually very, very similar. And I don't for a minute... Even with all my experience and all my years of of working with families, I don't profess in any way to be able to have the knowledge and information to know when someone is perhaps moving from one to the other. So clinical depression is not grief, but they can look really similar. So seeing a psychologist, yeah, you may relive your story, but you're probably doing it already anyway in your own mind and by seeing somebody they can help you reframe some of the words that you use when you tell your story and to find perhaps some other emotions that you're not quite allowing to shine through within your story so one of the things for me was really trying to focus on some of the good things that happened through the birth or just after the birth of Jesse. And it was instead of focusing on the fear and the stress and, and and everything that and the grief and the heaviness of what was happening or about to happen, I was able to find some really beautiful moments like the midwife that cared for us. She was amazing. And I was able to start focusing on her and the energy that she provided through that time and the way in which she spoke to our son after he was born and really, you know, made us feel very much connected and as a family and validated him as a person. So I started telling my story a little bit differently and focusing on some of those really beautiful parts. And over time, that obviously has helped shape my feelings, moving from that really intense grief and despair to more often than not, When I think of Jessie, I am filled with love and hope. But it took a long time before I got to that point.
0: That's really inspiring to hear. And it's certainly as well, the medical practitioners, um, I know that I also had a positive experience with both my nutrition and the doctors and and things like that throughout the whole process. They can definitely influence those experiences and it's so positive to hear. that, And also inspiring uh, from yourself that that also then is possible to... I guess, also reframe some of those experiences. Now, yeah. we'll, we'll slip over to, um, I've just change tact a little bit around um, the support network, because uh, when you do let people know that that uh, you've experienced loss, um, everyone wants to try and help you in some way. And I know from my personal experience, they want to help, but they don't necessarily know how or what they should say, or you, can you talk about it? And I know that some people were very honest in saying, I don't know what to say. Um, and I said, that's fine. And sometimes I had to be the first one even to make connection again because people didn't know what how to deal with us. And um, and even still, I think to this day that it's like, oh, is, are they okay? Are they not? Is this... Um, something that is regularly seen from support people and what advice do you have for support people and even like your tribe around you if you know someone that's experienced loss and what you can do to support them?
1: I think it's great that you um, did have some friends say the exact right thing which is I have no idea what to say. Honestly anything other than that is probably or possibly Not right or going to be hurtful. It's human nature to want to fix things. People don't like to have to see things that aren't quite right or that make them feel uncomfortable. So we will do our best to step in and fix it. That'll come through instead of sitting with silence or being honest and saying, I'm so sorry that that happened and I really don't know what to say, anything other than that can be so damaging, so hurtful, incredibly minimizing. All the cliches need to be wiped out. So here's a few for your listeners. If you've experienced loss, you've probably heard some of these. And if you haven't experienced loss, and you have uttered these words to someone, you're not a bad person. But take this opportunity to remove the cliches from your mind and next time simply say, I'm so sorry and I don't know what to say. So some of the cliches, it wasn't meant to be, at least you know you can fall pregnant. Some people can't have any babies. You've already got a beautiful two-year-old son. You should be grateful. Uh, There was obviously something wrong this was God's will, this is just part of your journey in life, we're given what we can manage, all of those, they're unhelpful, wipe them away, simply lean in to your friend, your colleague and tell them you're sorry that this has happened and that they're hurting and that you're happy to listen to them and be guided by them on how you can actually help and support them through this. There'll be times where you can literally do nothing and that's okay. And there'll be times where you might be asked to just sit there and listen to the story or wipe up the tears. There could be times where actual useful things will be really helpful. So if you are someone that wants to do things, that likes to do things to be helpful, because remember, you can be helpful, but you can't fix it. So some of the things I would say is the person that is experiencing the loss or just had the loss and is grieving, it's very difficult for our brains to make sense of what's happening and to make decisions and to clear, have clear thoughts around what needs to happen. So oftentimes we'll, you know, as a community, reach out to someone and say, I'm really sorry that's happened. If there's anything I can do, please let me know. Because that makes us feel good. I've reached out. That's, that's my lot done. But if you truly do want to be helpful, actually make the offer and come up with some ideas that you're, you're willing and capable of doing and offer those. So that the family that's experiencing the loss and deep in their grief doesn't actually have to think about too much. They don't have to think, oh, there's so many people offering to do things. It becomes a very overwhelming and a whole other task that they just don't have the capacity to give attention to. So offer them to, you know, I'd love to grab some groceries and leave them at the door for you. Can I cook some meals and leave them at the door for you? Would you like me to take your two-year-old for a little play in the park with us? Can we come and mow the lawns? There's lots of things that you can do that can really alleviate some of the other pressures that we, the bereaved family might be feeling at that point in time. They may not take you up on any of it, but definitely by actually offering specifics of what you would like to offer for help will really help the bereaved family, because honestly, it's very difficult for their brains in that moment to go, oh, I need to get groceries and I need this. And I, how am I going to get that one to childcare? And how am I going to do this? You know, be specific, offer what you can offer. And it may or may not be accepted, but it definitely will be appreciated.
0: I'm sitting here throughout all that, Amanda, and just nodding my head to absolutely everything that you've just said from the comments that people say. I think I heard all of those. And it's also I heard a number of times even from friends of what can I do? And I was like, I don't know. I'm I'm stuck in that situation. But I think also um, people, as you said, people will say that, but you don't know what you need. And also I think it's part of that human nature at times of, We're afraid to ask for help of saying, look, I need X, Y, Z. Um, We find that that may be putting too much on other people. Uh, I know that we had a couple of people that bought us food and when it was delivered to us, we were a bit overwhelmed of, oh, wow, we've got a lasagna and a quiche and all this food. But I have to say, lucky we had the freezer space and there was nights that we didn't feel like cooking. And it was such a a thankful thing that we had, that food in the freezer, thanks to um, some lovely people that had had given us food. And just something else to add that I know from my experience with Support Network, I've had a couple of people that have messaged me, not only just that day or two after uh, letting them know that we experienced loss, but even like maybe a month or two down the track, actually to check in on us and see how we were going. Uh, for me that it was, you know, as a lot of people have moved on with their lives and they naturally, um, I've had a few really close friends reach out and say, how are you going? Um, and even as, as it was coming up to the, end of, um, to the due date um, of my son, I had um, some close friends say, what was the due date? We don't want to miss it. We want to acknowledge it, which was really lovely because they knew and they'd been on that journey. They didn't want to forget it. Um, and so it was really special of that constant um, that and even a good friend of my husband um, they, he lost his father quite suddenly and I said to my husband I said don't just message him the day after the funeral I said message him like two or three weeks later and I know it's, it, we just knew what he was going through from a grief perspective and how does it remain in communication just as a check in how you going because of just our own experience and for me that was that constant doesn't need to be much but even one of my closest friends just a simple message how are you Um, definitely uh, has meant a lot and I think also strengthened
1: our um, friendship as a result. And I would say alongside of that is if you are a support person for someone that is, is grieving like that, check in often and expect nothing in return. If you don't get a response back, it's actually not a reflection of you. It's just a reflection of the space that the grieving family is in at that point in time. So give it a couple of days and check in again. But always make sure that your check-in comes without expectation.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't need to be loaded with anything else as well. And Amanda, we often wait to tell people that we're pregnant until this magic 12 weeks. But this also can uh, have an isolating effect if you experience loss prior to this. Do you believe that not telling people until you're pregnant until you're 12 weeks is um, outdated? Or what are your thoughts around this, around also experiencing loss?
1: Well, I mean, you know, way back in probably my grandparents' days, having a miscarriage was actually seen as something you should feel ashamed about. They had such an appalling understanding of why it happened and how it happens and really had no acknowledgement and validation, not just for miscarriage but for stillbirth, you know. Mothers were left to feel such shame. The baby would be taken away as soon as it was birthed and the mother would have no opportunity to see and hold and love their child and told pretty much to go home, stay quiet about it and get on with it. And this 12-week message, this 12-week message, I believe, is intertwined with that outdated theory of loss So whilst we've moved really um, in some ways progressively to now accept and understand that losing a baby is profound and impacts us greatly and that we should be provided opportunity to see and hold the baby and spend some time with them, but we don't seem to have made any progress whatsoever on whether or not we should share our story sooner. So, I believe that that whole 12 week magic point, which unfortunately, as you and I know, isn't actually a magic number, it certainly does reduce the incidence of loss. The percentage does drop, but it doesn't reduce it completely. It's not a magic point. But all it really does is mean that if someone does experience loss prior to 12 weeks and they've not shared their news with anyone, we really are as a society telling them to suffer in silence. Don't tell anyone you're pregnant until 12 weeks because if something goes wrong, you'll then have to share that with other people. And that is a very outdated space. You know, uh, my grandparents very much were part of an era where you definitely didn't share anything that was happening in your world behind closed doors because people would judge you for that. Whereas now we're lucky to live in an environment where we're encouraging people to care for themselves, to look after for their mental health. You know, a problem shared is a problem halved. And we want to continue to progress that message, which would include into this magic 12 week number. Ultimately, that's everybody's personal decision. There's some families that I've come across that haven't told people they were pregnant until, you know, 25, 26 weeks when they literally couldn't hide it any longer. And that's okay. That's their choice. But I really believe that that stigma around not sharing the news before that magic 12 week number needs to be completely diluted now because... No one ever falls pregnant. Well, very few people. In fact, I've never met anyone that has fallen pregnant, gotten those magical two lines, and thought, right, well, I'm just going to put that over there and think nothing of it until 12 weeks. That's just simply two lines on a stick. We immediately begin building a life around those two lines. And we don't refer to them as two lines. We're having a baby. We're pregnant. And we start to build our dreams and our hopes. And where are they going to go to school? And, oh, my gosh, I'm going to need a new car. They will not all fit. And all those different things. You know, oh, I'll only have to work now up until this date. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> the mental games that go on. Yes. You know, so... All of that planning and and the hopes and the dreams and the thoughts of what our family's going to look like can be taken away in an instant. And if as a society, we continue to think that 12 weeks is when it's appropriate to share the news, the good news that you're going to have a baby, it means there's going to be a lot of people suffering in silence. It's then definitely very isolating around the whole process. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Now Amanda do you have any closing advice to give to those that have or tips or anything else you want to say um, and also around the work that uh, Bears of Hope do that have experienced loss uh, and also those uh, for the support people as well? I think
1: we've covered a fair amount of it we've probably given hopefully a fair amount of thought-provoking ideas different people. Um, I really do think that it's just important as a society that we stop judging one another and that's in every possible way but we certainly have no rights to judge how somebody is grieving or to judge how somebody is feeling. That's their own experiences. As a support person just make sure that you are keeping in touch without those expectations, as I mentioned before. One of the things that I will say I've, I hear quite a lot is support people thinking, oh, I just, I get so worried to talk to her because, you know, she's, she's doing quite well, so I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to remind her about the loss. You can't possibly remind a bereaved mother about their loss. You never forget. Whilst it. you never forget, never. Whilst you might outwardly see that, you know, they're returning to a productive, involved, engaged world. That doesn't mean they always are. That just means that's what you're seeing. It means they've gotten better at holding space within themselves for their grief whilst they carry on with all the other things that they have to do. So you're never going to remind someone about their loss. Saying their name may bring tears to their eyes, but it will absolutely fill their heart that you've remembered and been courageous enough to say their child's name and keep their, their memory alive. So continue to do that don't be afraid, don't judge how somebody else is grieving, just be there for them. Yeah, it's great
0: advice. And you just mentioned about people, you know, filling their heart. What do you do, Amanda, to fill your cup?
1: I'm not very good at it. I have to say, over the years, I, I honestly come and go with what fills my cup. I don't know that I've found the magic, the magic little set as yet. I know that I need time on my own to just zone out. So sometimes that might be a beautiful bath and some music and, or, you know, let's face it, my TV, I can see from the bath. So there's a bit of Netflix in there. I don't mind a beautiful massage. For me, it's probably more making sure I connect with my friends when I need to. I've got a beautiful set of friends that sometimes I can go months without seeing or speaking to them. But the minute either of us is in a space where they just need their people, it's like no time has passed and we connect. That's probably my greatest thing. Oftentimes, for a while early in my grief, I found myself pulling away because I didn't want to burden them with my sadness and my grief and my darkness. And I learned that that really didn't serve me at all and that my friends didn't care because they were my friends and they loved me and if that's where I was in that darkness, they wanted to be in the darkness with me until I was ready to have them help, me pull, help pull me out.
0: That sounds so good. Now, where can people connect with yourself and Bears of Hope?
1: Well, our website would probably be the the first point of call, bearsofhope.org.au. And through there, there's a bunch of information, either for bereaved parents or their supporting family and friends, different ideas on how to help or what to do, who to connect with, what support services are available. On there, you'll be able to find our support phone line, which I think you mentioned earlier in the podcast, our socials, search on Insta, Facebook, Bears of Hope, you'll be able to find us there. And email contacts are all on that website as well. But support at bearsofhope.org.au will get you through to one of the counsellors and be able to start setting up some times to work through some of that grief.
0: And if someone wants to buy a bear for a bereaved family, how do you do that?
1: Yeah, well, you can do that through our website. So you can actually purchase a whole bunch of different merchandise through our website. So there's a shop that you can go on to and, and do that. And the other thing is is what people may not know is Bears of Hope has zero government funding. So everything we do, we rely on through community fundraising and the generosity of donations. So you can make a tax-deductible donation also through our website and you can choose to donate that to a whole bunch of different options of what we do. So you can donate for us to use the money through our support services, the counsellors or psychologists that we contract. You can do that to donate a bear of hope in honour of a baby, your own baby or someone that you know and love and donate a bear of hope to fill the arms of another family. You can fundraise for equipment for the hospital. There's a whole bunch of ways that you can really help us create a lasting impact for bereaved families.
0: Well, Amanda, I have to say I have got so much out of this episode and I have to say its I've got, yeah, as I said, so much. Um, It's something that... When I started podcasts and I went through this whole experience, I thought I need to do something to help others, to make people realise that they're not alone um, in their loss. Sadly, many women um, do experience either a, a variety of different loss around um, pregnancy and, and infant. So I wanted to put this podcast out to really, for all those men, women, families that have been through it, as I said to to make sure you don't feel alone you're going through the emotions as what you need to it's completely normal um, for the way that you are and what you're experiencing so I have to say it was actually my my little man's um, due date last weekend and I needed to do this after that but I have to say it's been quite cathartic through this whole process and actually doing this podcast so I have to say thank you so much on behalf of everyone that's going to listen to it. Bears of Hope, I cannot highly recommend enough. Those that also join the support groups on Facebook, um, you'll read stories that, yeah, you'll be surprised and that will naturally bring tears to your eyes um, for the the experiences that people have been through and you're not alone. And I think that's one thing that I've definitely got out of Bears of Hope, that you're not alone. There's a, a community out there to support you and also lift you up. So, Amanda, thank you so much for everything that you and Bears of Hope do. I cannot thank you enough um, as someone that's been through it. Yeah, everyone get in touch, buy a bear. I know that I didn't know about bears until I experienced this. So thank you so much, um, again, from the bottom of my heart.
1: Thank you. And that's beautiful words to hear from you. Um, Honestly, I had no idea all those years ago when Tony and I started Bears of Hope that we would be as large as we are today yet there's still so much more for us to do because there's too many families that just don't have the right support around them and we want to make sure they do. Yes, definitely. And yes, I hope you
0: continue to grow and (laughs) educate everyone and make sure all the obstetricians, midwives, hospitals, everyone knows about your work. Um, So no, continue on the great efforts and um, I will definitely do what I can to um, advocate for Bears of Hope. So again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Mine too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favourite podcast catch-up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, mama is M-U-M-M-A. Or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues especially those that are parents managing the juggle and I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast I'll be giving a shout out to select people that do so so stay listening and you might be one of them Thank you and see you next time have a great week